Welcome back to another training with Redeeming Productivity Academy. My name is Reagan Rose, and we are here in stage one still. We're talking about drowning, metaphorically, of course. Um, we're dealing with this broader subject of when you first get into productivity, the, the first stage you enter in, before you can sail the boat, you first have to get out of the water. You got to get out of being overwhelmed, of being drowning in your commitments. In the last segment, we talked about the five pillars of Christian productivity. And in this one, I want to deal more directly with this issue of drowning. And so we're going to be talking today about overcommitment, the problem that productivity can't solve. And just as a review, when we're talking about drowning, what we mean is in this stage, we're dealing with that feeling that anybody who's first getting into productivity feels. It's kind of what drives you to be interested in learning about productivity to begin with. You feel like you are disorganized. You feel like you're inconsistent with your commitments. And above all, you feel over committed. And we try to learn to be productive, to overcome some of these feelings, to better manage our time and our life so that we don't feel that way. The biggest thing, though, with this is sometimes we end up skipping ahead. We, we think that productivity is going to be the solution to our problems. And what I want to show you in this lesson is that, well, there actually might be a deeper route to our problem that if we just take a step back and evaluate, it'll save us a lot of grief and a lot of wasted time on trying to figure out exactly what app to use, etc. We'll get to apps, we'll get to managing time and all of that. But we need to kind of take a more uh, lateral approach, a more bird's eye view approach of what really is the source of our problem. How can we address it more directly? And so yeah, we're talking about overcommitment. Here's my objectives for uh, this lesson. I want to convince you that you are probably doing too much. You'll see. I want to help you gain visibility on your commitments, and I want to help you get the tools and the encouragement you need to simplify your life a bit so that you can be more productive on the things that actually matter. Because at the end of the day, there simply isn't enough time to do everything. So we're going to need to figure out how we can balance what we do need to do. This is a quote from David Allen from Getting Things Done. He says, a paradox has emerged in this new millennium. People have enhanced quality of life, but at the same time, they're adding to their stress levels by taking on more than they have resources to handle. Here's another from Corey Ten Boom. If the devil cannot make us bad, he will make us busy. My point in sharing these is that there is a problem in the modern age, and the problem is our attention is frayed in a million different directions. And that shows up in our attempts to be more productive. It shows up in how busy we feel all the time, our stress. But if we're not even actively engaging in like overt sin, we can still be tempted to be so busy that our attention is not on God and what matters most to him, but instead on all the minutia, all of the fires we're trying to put out. And we're always telling us someday I'll get to the things that really matter. Someday with the leftovers, I'll give that attention to the things that God has uniquely gifted me to do. And that's a problem. So we're going to address this in three steps. And we're talking about the issue of overcommitment here.
Step one is to acknowledge the connection between productivity and overcommitment. Acknowledge the connection between productivity and overcommitment. What do I mean by that? Well, there is a connection between the two. You know, we talk a lot about productivity, but something that can actually happen is that in seeking to address the symptoms of being overcommitted, namely you don't have enough time to do all of your, your duties you need to do, people seize on productivity to hopefully manage their time better so they can do all of the things that they really shouldn't be doing all of this. And it ends up compounding the problem. Let me show you what I mean. With productivity, if you're taking this, I assume that you're on the same page with me and what you want is you want to glorify God with your life. We talked about that in the last module. Remember, pillar two was you exist to glorify God. Well, you don't just want to glorify God with your life. You also want to make the most of your time for him. That's really how you go about it. You, you utilize what you have, your resources, and you steward them for God's glory. But there are side effects to an interest in productivity, and these are things we don't want. Namely, we don't want the overcommitment cycle. Um, I wrote an article about this recently called The Overcommitment Cycle, and it was just about the fact that we have this perennial problem uh, with doing too many things, and this problem compounds when we kind of get too big for our britches and think that, you know, we've really got this productivity thing on lock, and then we take on more and more and more and more, and soon we're overcommitted again. And ironically, sometimes learning productivity techniques ends up making us worse off in the end because we think we can take on even more. So the problem that productivity was supposed to solve for us actually ends up being made worse for it. Now, pause with me for a second. I want to take a brief uh, excursus, a brief kind of sidetrack. I want to talk about some of the reasons that we overcommit. Why do we do it? It's helpful to think about if you are like me and you're a serial overcommitter, you've always got too much going on, you're always crazy busy, and you always feel like, ah, I just can't get under control. It's good to evaluate your heart in these things. There's a lot of reasons we might be overcommitters. One could be love of money. If we're being honest, you know, if you're overcommitting to work, taking on um, extra side hustles or... Um, you're, you're trying to really, really hard to get a promotion such that it crowds out all of your other responsibilities in life because you're working too much or doing too much overtime. You know what I mean? The idea is that if you love money, that could potentially be a driver that makes you have work become almost the god of your life. That's what we would call workaholism. Fear of man is a big one for me. Uh, we don't want to disappoint people, so we say yes when we really shouldn't. Another one is guilt. It's kind of related to fear of man sometimes, but we feel obligated to take on commitments, even if they don't align with our purpose, with our gifting, with the unique things that God's called us to do. We do them anyway because we feel bad if we didn't. Uh, this is especially dangerous for Christians when it comes to ministry opportunities. There are tons of ministry opportunities, and sometimes in the back of our heads, we feel like if we don't say yes to all of them, then maybe there's something wrong with us. Maybe we don't really want to serve. Maybe we don't really want to sacrifice. But that, uh, that is a dangerous way of thinking because, look, if you have a mission, if you have a goal, then you may actually, by taking on extra ministries that don't align with your goal, with what God's uniquely designed you to do, you could actually be failing to accomplish the main thing that you're supposed to be doing. And it's good to remember that even Jesus said no, and he rested from ministry in 
He was the son of God. Pride. Another thing that can drive reasons to, to overcommit is pride. We think we can do it all. We have something to prove. We want to show that we're the guy or that we're the gal who can be dependent on, who can always just do a little bit more. That's a dangerous thing too. And it doesn't have to be sin either. I think a lot of times it's just plain ignorance. We don't know how to manage our time well because we've never learned. We've never really thought about it. No one's shown us. So we take on more than we can do. Or we we're ignorant of the number of commitments we already have. We don't have visibility on how many things I'm actually committed to. And so I say yes. And then only later do I realize, oh, wait, how am I going to get X, Y, and Z done? And now double Z that I just committed to. And so sometimes it's just ignorance or, or our lack of pre-planning that makes it so that we get overcommitted. Now, at the risk of being pedantic here, what is the problem with overcommitment? Why, why is this something that I would dedicate an entire uh, lesson to the problem of overcommitment? Uh, because I think it's like the problem of our age. I think if you're a productivity person, overcommitment is your issue. I guarantee it. I guarantee most of you, your biggest problem isn't that you're lazy. It's probably that you're overcommitted. You're taking a, a course, you're taking a membership here on productivity because you want to be productive. But the problem with overcommitment is that it can cause stress right? That's not good. <laughs> the problem, ironically, with overcommitment is that it leads to broken commitments. When you say yes to too many things, you end up breaking commitments because you didn't have time to do them all. Uh, it leads to work that's misaligned with priorities. This is something I'm going to emphasize a lot here is you end up doing things that you really shouldn't be doing, not because they're bad, but because good is the enemy of great. The, the things that you ought to be doing should be taking all your attention, and now you're dividing it between things that really don't align with your priorities. And ultimately, overcommitment is the, whatever leads to it, it's the beast behind meaningless unhappiness with our jobs, hopelessness about, I just feel stuck in life, and ultimately burnout. And so overcommitment is a huge beast, and it's worth your time to think about Maybe am I overcommitted? Am I doing too much? Instead of just trying to tweak the knobs on how do I be more productive with all the commitments I have, why not back up and say, should I have all these commitments? And that's what we're going to do a little bit today. I call this the lie of productivity. I can always make more time. This is the lie, especially as you get better and better at managing your time. This is the lie that you're going to want to believe that I can always squeeze something else in. I can always make more time. Or if, if maybe if I hustle on this one thing, then I'll have I'll be able to buy some more time on this other thing. The problem is it's just not true. Clocks have this strange way of being consistent. And when you really think about how your day breaks down, you don't have that much time. I mean, I know this is this is pretty obvious, but most of our days are pre-spent for us. Eight hours goes to sleep, roughly. Uh Eight more hours goes to work or whatever the main thing is you do. And then whatever is left over goes to family or leisure or your church or a million other responsibilities you have. There's just not that many hours in the day. And so you really have to be careful about what you tie yourself up and what commitments you make so that you don't end up with not enough time to do what you were called to do. 
let me make a, a simple illustration here. So if you think about your time represented by the clock there, and you think about these different buckets as commitments, right? So in this illustration, you've got these five different commitments. And now your time, or we could even say your energy or your resources or, or you know, what you have to steward in this life, it has to be divided up evenly among those commitments. And so what happens is if you're overcommitted, you can only give a little bit of time to each of those things. And every time you add another commitment, you're further dividing that limited resource that you have. And so this is really just a simple problem of allocation of resources. If we take on more than we can handle, and if most of the time it ends up being stuff that's not aligned with our priorities, we end up spread too thin. The alternative, which is what I'm going to advocate for here, is simplicity. That's where you give yourself fully to just a few things. You try to find and pare down to the commitments that really matter most and give yourself entirely to those. And then you can be excellent in those instead of just okay or even poor at a bunch of commitments. Because here's my mantra about this. This is how I would describe productivity. It's not doing as many things as you possibly can. Productivity is about doing the right things well. And that almost always means doing fewer things. This is like the secret sauce, guys. If you can find ways to say no, if you can find ways to pare down your commitments, you will be more productive if you're pouring yourself purely into the things that matter most. This is a quote from a book I read recently by Oliver Berkman. It's called 4,000 Weeks. He says, the more you believe you might succeed in fitting everything in, the more commitments you naturally take on. And the less you feel the need to ask whether each new commitment is truly worth a portion of your time. And so your days inevitably fill with more activities you don't especially value. And so what he's talking about is this bizarre, ironic shift that happens where we, the more productive you get, the more overcommitted you get. And that it, it, you don't become more overcommitted to things that you value. It's more extraneous stuff because you end up putting almost less of a premium on your time because you feel like you can always buy more of it, if that makes sense. Remember, the lie of productivity is that I can always make more time. It's simply not true. So back to productivity and overcommitment. We're, we're trying to, uh, in this first step, acknowledge that there is a connection here and try to deal with that. So we said what we, what we want is to glorify God. What we want is to do that by making the most of our time. What we don't want is to get stuck in the overcommitment cycle where productivity actually leads us to making more and more commitments and less and less focus on our time. And the last thing we don't want is to chase after the wind. This, of course, is taken from Ecclesiastes uh, 2.11 where Solomon writes, Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Chasing after the wind is an expression Solomon uses to refer to something that is pointless. It's vapid. It is vanity. You can't catch the wind. 
right? That's the whole point that he's making. He uses it throughout. And the, the point of the book is that, you know, chasing after the wind is, is about a life lived apart from any consideration of God, chasing after the things of this world. But chasing after the wind can look like a lot of different things. Chasing after the wind can look like seeking our pleasure uh, as our highest end instead of God's glory. He talks about that in chapter two. Chasing after the wind can look like seeking to immortalize your name. Sometimes if you're ambitious and you seek to be productive with your time because you're trying to you know, get more done, because you're trying to accomplish something, often we need to be careful that our heart motivation in that is not to try to immortalize ourselves, become famous or, or you know what I mean, leave, leave a legacy. Leaving a legacy is, is important. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying if that's what you're seeking and that's your kind of summa bonum, that's your highest good that you're after, that's chasing after the wind because you're going to die and you're going to be forgotten is Solomon's point. Better to chase something more valuable, namely God's glory. Uh, you can chase after the wind by thinking you can control the outcome of your life. This is fascinating. You should read, in fact, you should read through Ecclesiastes, the whole thing. It's worthwhile. Um, that's really what set me personally on this path of simplifying my life so that I could be productive in fewer things instead of just doing lots and lots of things. Side note, read it. But look at this, thinking you can control the outcome of your life. My goodness, is that not what so many of us are after? I want to, to get everything under control. I want to control my time. I want to be able to get everything done so I can have more time to do what I want, right? A lot of times what we're chasing, we're chasing productivity is some sense of relief on the other side of it. But even that is chasing the wind. There's always going to be more work. There's always going to be responsibilities. You're never going to come to a place in your life where you can just kick back and there's nothing else to do. So don't chase that. So don't set that as your highest good. Chasing after the wind can also look like keeping up with the Joneses. It talks about in chapter four about people that were driven by envy. And so it's like, oh, he built that thing. I'll build mine a little bit bigger. Oh, he did that. I'll do this a little bit better. And that can so often drive our productivity. We're trying to make the most of our time because I want to do better than the guy next to me. It doesn't just have to be money. It could even be just accomplishments. Okay. So these are all, according to Solomon, which by the way, this is Holy Scripture, are chasing after the wind. They're pointless. They're vanity. And all of these are ways that can drive us to be overcommitted instead of living the life that God wants us to live. Well, I think that brings us to step two, which is admit defeat. Throw up the white flag. Give up. Basically, we need to admit that we can't do it all. We can't do everything. We can't. We can't. We, and, and, and I know you're listening. You're like, I know this. But we don't act like we know this. Because, I mean, back to the issue of time. We have just 168 hours in a week. And we already talked about how many of those are pre-spent for us with sleep and, and our jobs. We have just 52 year, weeks a year. And as the title of that book I quoted earlier suggested, we only have about 4,000 weeks in our entire lifetime. There is not enough time to do everything. You will not have enough time to fulfill all your dreams. I mean, think about this. We talk, we talk about um, in our society, but people have a midlife crisis. What is, what is the, typically the cause of, 
a midlife crisis. It's basically that point in in the life typically of men when we realize I'm not going to be in the NBA because <laughs> I'm 50 years old. You know, like but like you realize that you're not going to achieve everything you thought you would. That this you're kind of capped out. There's not enough time. You're not going to make it. And so you get a Harley. But seriously, th- that is what happens. We grow disillusioned with this once we finally realize there's not enough time. Better to realize it before that or whenever, whatever stage you're at. It's, it's important just to acknowledge you can't do it all. Here's another quote from that book, 4,000 Weeks. He said, when you're faced with too many demands, it's easy to assume that the only answer must be to make better use of time by becoming more efficient driving yourself harder, or working for longer, as if you were a machine in the Industrial Revolution, instead of asking whether the demands themselves might be unreasonable. And here's where we get at the nub of the matter. You say, I've got too much to do. I'm overcommitted. And, you're, and, and here I am telling you to give up. What I'm telling you is that perhaps if you're feeling overwhelmed, maybe It's not due to some lack in you, your inability to manage time, but a deficiency with the modern world. And maybe what we need to do is step back and say, hey, are we being asked to play an impossible game? Because if you're asked to play an impossible game, the best course of action is to choose not to play it. Now, I'm not telling us to leave society, though, if anyone's interested, I would be happy to join your compound. But I'm saying that the demands of modern life themselves are unreasonable. I don't think this is a game we should try to play. I don't think that we should try to squeeze in everything we possibly can into this life. I think that a life that honors Christ can look a lot more peaceful and a lot more quiet than many of us think we need to act. In admitting defeat, we need to say, hey, I can't do it all. And you need to also acknowledge that God doesn't expect you to. This is so freeing, my friends. Um, Psalm 103.14, For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. God has called us to a high calling. He does. And he doesn't want us to be lazy, and that's not what I'm advocating here but he knows that we're mere creatures. God knows our frame. He remembers that he made man from the dust. We're not gods. And even Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And yet so often we try to live as though we are either machines or some sort of gods that can do everything that's thrown at us. We can't. We're creatures and we're broken ones at that. I love this line uh, from the book Zeal Without Burnout by Christopher Ashe. He says, when you and I surrendered to Jesus as Lord, we did not offer him the service of a divine or even semi-divine creature to strengthen his kingdom. We offer him the fragile, temporary, mortal, frail life that he has first given to us. That is all we have to offer. You can't do it all. God doesn't expect you to do it all. Here's another one from David Murray, who wrote Reset, Living a Grace-Paced Life in a Burnout Culture. He says, creatures by definition, are less than their creator. He is infinite, we are finite. He is unlimited, we are limited. Although none of us would say we are unlimited, most of us think we are less limited than we actually are. I love that. We wouldn't say, I wouldn't say, of course I'm not unlimited. But I definitely think I I am, how does he put it, less limited than I actually am. 
And this leads us again to overcommitment, which makes our lives miserable, takes our focus off of the things that God really has for us, and ultimately puts us on this treadmill that we need to jump off of if we truly want to be productive in a way that glorifies God. So to admit defeat, you need to admit that you can't do it all. You need to admit that God doesn't expect you to. And if I can't do it all and God doesn't expect me to, let me look at how I'm currently spending my life. And that's the last one. Take stock. Take stock of your life in light of these things. And that brings us to the two exercises that I'm going to give you for this training. And that brings us to the two exercises that I'm going to give you for this training. There are further worksheets on both of these, but I really want you to do them. The first one is exercise one, log your time for one week. Um, I've included a worksheet and some instructions on how to do this, but I want you to log every hour of how you spend your time for a whole week, seven days. So you get the business week and you get Saturday and Sunday, all seven. And I know this is tedious, but it's only one week. And even if you've done this before, I, I guarantee you're saying, oh, I've done this before and it was really helpful, so I don't need to do it. No, if it was really helpful, do it again because your life's probably changed since the last time you did it. But log your time for one week and write it all down. Because why? The point of this is to give us visibility on what we're doing. How are we spending our time? What are we committed to? What does that actually look like? Because until we know what's actually happening and we kind of question our own assumptions about that and take some data, uh, we're not going to be able to make the changes we need to make. We're going to be operating off of hunches instead of data. So take the data. And that worksheet will walk you through every aspect of it. The other one uh, exercise for this week is list all present commitments. Again, there's another worksheet for this one. It'll walk you through this in more detail. But the idea is, in addition to looking at your time, you can do this during it and sometimes it might be helpful afterwards because you'll realize as you're logging time some commitments you forgot about. But there, what are the things that you have to do? What are the things that you've agreed to do? Obviously, your job. Obviously, your family. There's probably specific things at churches. There's probably other agreements that you've made that you need to be doing. There are implicit ones with, with how you spend your time, you know, that's an agreement that, that might be silent between you and your spouse about how, how much television you're going to watch at night together. Right? There's a lot of things we're committed to. And often one of the problems with overcommitment is we don't realize how long that list really is. And so we add things to it. So in this exercise, all I want you to do is go step by step and break down what specifically am I committed to and make a huge long list of those. And that will bring us to the next point where I'm going to tell you what to do with that stuff after you write it all down. Okay, friends, that brings us to step three. We're talking about overcommitment and productivity. And step three is simplify your life. Snip, snip. Got some scissors on there. Simplify your life. After we have acknowledged the connection between productivity and overcommitment and how trying to be productive may have actually backfired somewhat for us. After that, we've admitted defeat. We've looked at our lives and trying to take in stock of all the stuff we're doing, how we're spending our time, what we're committed to. The final step is to simplify, to cut out those things which 
really need to be cut out, the things that are extraneous, to make more room so that you have fewer buckets to pour yourself into. And so how do you do this? You untie your cement shoes. Imagine there's a man named Jimmy, and Jimmy has fallen afoul of the mob. This is just a story. I'm making this up. They, they've caught Jimmy, and he has displeased the boss man. And so now it's time for him to uh, swim with the fishes, to get cement shoes, as they say. And so they're going to tie cinder blocks to Jimmy's shoes, and, or to his legs, and they're going to push him into the river. Okay? Now, picture this scenario. Jimmy is here out on the docks. He is about to go sleep with the fishes. And one of the thugs, let's say, is friends with Jimmy. He liked him. He always thought he was a good kid. And so he whispers some advice to him while he's um, tying the cinder blocks to his legs. And, and here's what the thug says to Jimmy. He says, I saw in a recent uh, issue of Popular Science magazine that if you swim with your hands cupped like so, you can gain up to 15% efficiency with each stroke. He's giving him swimming lessons. And then he says, good luck, Jimmy. And he pushes him in. Now... This is exactly what I see as the problem with so much of the productivity advice we get and even advice that I give if taken at face value. People are telling us how to swim more efficiently rather than handing us a knife so we can cut loose those cinder blocks from our legs. We need to deal with what's actually causing us to drown. If we're dealing with this question of, of drowning. I feel like I'm drowning in, in too much to do. I have too many commitments. You need to look at the source of that. Again, we're not just, we, we can't just simply be tweaking little knobs and saying, oh, I'm going to gain 1% time efficiency here. Oh, and I can gain 3% here. No, it's better to take a step back and say, how can I figure out why I'm drowning to begin with? And oftentimes the reason you can't keep your head above water isn't because you're not swimming efficiently. It's because you got cinder blocks tied to your feet and you need to cut some of those loose. So we need to untie our cement shoes. We need to simplify our life. And the way you do that is editing aggressively, editing aggressively. Too often we do this thing where to try to gain more time, to try to be a little bit more productive, we just shave off a little bit here, a little bit there, when what we need to be doing is amputating whole commitments at once, being aggressive in what we say no to, like way more aggressive than we think we should be. I love this quote from Donald Miller. It's in his book, Business Made Simple. He says, what are you saying no to in order to say yes to a focused and meaningful life? It's a good question to ask yourself. What are the things that you're saying, nope, not going to do it so that I can say yes to focus, so I can say yes to doing those things that matter most? That's important. Now, auditing your life, taking taking a uh, inventory of how you're spending your time in those exercises what you're committed to in exercise number two, that's going to give you some visibility. And then you need to get pretty aggressive and say, I don't need to be doing this. I don't need to be doing that. And put everything on the table, even your job, put all of the stuff that you're doing on the table and say, what are the things that are out of alignment? What are the things that I shouldn't be doing and edit them aggressively? I'd encourage you to start with the big stuff. 
Start with very big chunks of things. Again, we're, we're not trying to gain 1% gains. We're trying to gain like 20%, 30% gains. What are the big, big things that are eating up your time? What are the big commitments that are even eating up mental energy that you just need to cut loose so you can get your head above water? Think about those. They might be things you don't expect. They might even be, as I said, they could even be ministry commitments, things you've agreed to do uh, and you feel guilty saying no to them, but you really deep down know that they're misaligned with what you need to be doing with your life. Make one decision that makes a thousand decisions. Um, I think I heard this from Greg McEwen. He's the author of the book Essentialism. But I've heard it a lot more actually from Tim Ferriss, who wrote The 4-Hour Workweek, and he has a popular podcast. And the way he talked about this was making simple rules for yourself so you don't have to make really, really complex decisions. So the example I heard Ferris use is he used to have these criteria for what speaking engagements he would take. After his book became a bestseller and his podcast became like super popular, obviously people were like, come speak at our thing. And so he kind of made some criteria. It's got to be, it's got to pay this much. It's got to be with these types of people. And, you know, so because he couldn't say yes to all of them, he had to come up with some criteria to say no. And he said it became such a burden evaluating every single one of them that he eventually just said, I'm not going to do speaking engagements anymore. And by making that one decision, he eliminated a thousand decisions. A whole area of his mind, a whole section of bandwidth was freed up from deciding on speaking engagements because he made one big decision. Um, I'll give you an example from my own life. Uh, I was recently trying to think about internet distraction, about how I'm like always on my phone and like I'm, I'm not focused like I should be. And I've come up with some complicated rules in the past about when I'll use my phone, kind of locking it down on screen time at different times. I'm not going to use it before, uh, before breakfast, those kind of things. And every time, like the more complex those rules get, they end up breaking down at some point. And I was thinking about this, making one decision to eliminate a thousand. And I realized that if I didn't use Wi-Fi or have a phone, those two things would mean that I would eliminate like 99% of the distraction in my life. And so that's an experiment I'm doing right now. I'll tell you guys more about it probably in a YouTube video, but I am not going to be using a smartphone anymore and I'm not going to use Wi-Fi. That means the only time I can use the internet is when I'm sitting here at my workstation and I can, of course, borrow my wife's phone or whatever, and there's entertainment things we'll do. I have some exceptions, but for the most part, it's just incredibly simple. That means I can't just have the iPad on the couch watching YouTube. Like, I'm very, very much limiting myself with a simple rule that eliminates all these other things. And we'll see how it goes. Again, it's an experiment, but it's in the spirit of making one decision that makes a thousand for you. Next, as you're editing your life aggressively, eliminate the no-brainer distractions today. Look, you're going to be watching this and, and you know this happens to me all the time. You're watching something, you get inspired. You're like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to start taking action and then we don't do it. There's a few things you should take action on right now. You got to turn notifications off on your phone. Like if you have those on, turn, like pause this video and go fix that right now. You don't need the ding, 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 ding all the time. And if there are some you actually need because you have some work commitment or some number you can get through, there are ways to VIP list certain contacts so that they do come through. Go figure that out right now. Just Google it because it makes your life so much better. That's a no-brainer in my opinion and something everybody should do. What are the other no-brainer distractions you have that you could get rid of right now? 
Um, one is if, if you do have a smartphone, which you probably, we all have smartphones, review your screen time and put some limits in place. You've probably thought about doing this for a long time. Do it. If you, uh, on your computer, you're like, I need to block certain social media sites uh, during certain hours, and you've kind of always wished you'd do it, do it right now. In fact, I'll throw a link in here for Freedom, a little uh, tool you can use. You can use a free trial of it and put it on your computer so you can't use it during work hours, your social media, I mean. Uh, do it today. Don't keep putting it off. Because every day you put it off is time you're stealing from yourself. The other thing, I think this is a no-brainer. Look, you don't have to do this. Suggestion, delete social media apps from your phone. If you want to access Facebook, make yourself go through the browser because it's really frustrating. It's so frustrating, you'll probably stop using Facebook. Simple steps like this, they're no-brainers in my opinion. Do them instead of thinking, oh, that's a good idea and not implementing them. Do them today. So really, at the end of the day, what this all comes down to is measure and then cut. Measure using those exercises we talked about, measuring what your time is going to, measuring what your commitments are, and then start cutting aggressively those things that don't line up with what you should be doing. And this will become easier over time as we get into deeper ones of these lessons about really, really honing in your priorities. But my guess is that even right now, even if your priorities in your head aren't super crystal clear, when you take an honest look at that list, there's stuff that's going to jump out at you, commitments that are going to jump out, blocks of time you're spending that are going to jump out to you and you're going to say, I really shouldn't be doing that. My encouragement to you, cut them. Cut them out. So back to this whole step number three, simplifying your life. We've talked about untying your cement shoe. We've talked about editing aggressively. Now I want to talk about committing to less than you have time for. This, above everything else, is really just a mindset. The, the mindset, I don't know if this is true of you guys. I'm kind of operating on a hunch here that other productivity-minded people think this way. I feel sometimes that redeeming the time looks like filling every spare minute of my life with things. I don't think that's what it means. Um, even, even the expression, uh, redeem the time for the days are evil from Ephesians 5, that's in the context of Paul talking about walking in wisdom. I don't think that the point Paul is making there about redeeming the time is about filling all of it with any sort of minutia you can squeeze in. I think he's talking about using our time wisely. And using your time wisely involves calculating for margin. Using your time wisely involves calculating for margin, putting gaps in your schedule. You know, if you're somebody who time blocks, which is something I recommend, time blocking your day so you get the most out of it, you got to put buffer in there if you're being realistic. You don't work for an hour on something and immediately go into an hour of something else. There's always a little bit of buffer because you're transitioning. Sometimes you need a break. You know, you have to use the restroom, you got to drink coffee. But if you, if you try to schedule your time like you're a robot you're setting yourself up for failure and for stress and for overcommitment. And so my suggestion is have this mindset, commit to less than you have time for. Don't say, oh, I have time for it, therefore I should do it. That's the wrong criteria. Because once you commit to something, especially if it's an ongoing commitment, now that time can't be used for things that might better align with your purpose in life. So commit to less than you have time for, keep that in the back of your head. 
and here's a fun way to put it. The only way you have time for what you commit to is to commit to less than you have time for. Untie that tongue twister. Let me go back to my little mantra here. Productivity is not about doing as many things as possible. It's about doing the right things well. And that almost always means doing fewer things. Okay, so we've talked about overcommitment, that it's a problem that productivity can't solve, and in fact, sometimes makes worse. And step one, we talked about acknowledging the connection between productivity and overcommitment and how it can kind of put you on that overcommitment cycle if you're not careful. In step two, we talked about admitting defeat. And in step three, we talked about simplifying your life. I hope that this has been helpful to you. I hope that you will really actually do those exercises. I strongly encourage you to do them, to evaluate, take the time, get the data, question your assumptions about how you're spending your time, about what you're committed to, and then aggressively cut stuff so that your life is simpler so that you can give more of yourself to the things that matter most. I've also compiled a list of additional resources if overcommitment, busyness is an area you especially struggle with. Here are some of my favorite books on the topic. Crazy Busy by Kevin DeYoung, 4,000 Weeks is a new one that I mentioned and quoted a couple times here. Again, with 4,000 Weeks, it's from a secular perspective. The guy even sort of mocks the idea that there's an afterlife, which, you know, kind of throws out uh, a lot of our principles of Christian productivity right from the get-go, but he does have some really great insights about overcommitment and how we spend our time, and it's a good one to get you thinking. Reset by David Murray is a great one for burnout. Uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. I'm actually reading that one right now. Um, Good one if this is something you struggle with. And last one of my favorites, very short Zeal Without Burnout with from Christopher Ash. Highly recommend that. I quoted that one in here as well. So I'll include these resources with links um, in the uh, notes section as well. So don't feel like you need to write all these down. Well, thanks guys for watching. I will see you in the next training. Hope this has been beneficial and I look forward to the follow-up that we will do in a couple of weeks.